Welcome to Great Comedic Minds by Kara Robertson, a podcast where we meet some of the greatest comedic creators of our time and find out their real stories. From your favorite TV shows, movies, and live stand-up, we interview the storytellers and joke writers who have entertained us for years to find out exactly how and why they do it. And now, here's your host, Kara Robertson. I'm here with Dr. Carl, a science communicator, author, and Aussie icon. He has written over 47 books. How many books are we up to at the moment? Um, I'm writing 48 and 49 at the moment. One's an autobiography, and the other one's just one of my general science books. Is a member of the Order of Australia, is a national living treasure, and was father of the year in 2003. And he even has an asteroid named after him. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you. I was going to ask you uh, mm-hmm. about about your you and how your journey, where, how you came to be where you are. So you obviously you were born in Sweden. Yep. Came over to Australia when you were two. Is that correct? Yeah, grew up in a refugee camp on the border of New South Wales and Victoria at Bonnegilla. Okay. Do you have much memories of that? No, in general, most people don't have any memories under the age of six, except in those so-called primitive societies where people at each meeting of a family group run through stories of people's past. I do have one memory of us, of me having an egg, and apparently we only got one egg a week and my parents gave it to me. Okay, so it's something attached to an emotion, perhaps a strong emotion, maybe there's a memory there. And I don't even know if that's a real memory or not, because it's possible to insert a false memory into one quarter of people really easily. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I think I've got lots of false memories. Sometimes I tell a story, I'm like, did that even happen? Um, From growing up in Papua New Guinea, the same sort of thing where it's all... Oh, yeah, where did you grow up in Papua New Guinea? So that was in the 90s, early 90s. Where? Uh, In Garoka. Have you been to Garoka? Yeah, 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 been up to Garoka, up the inland highway. Okay, yeah. Amazing, amazing road, that one. Did, yeah. Did you go to the Garoka Sing Sing? Yeah, we would have. We would have done everything. Yeah. So is that what you, what were you doing there? I was at Lay yeah. uh, teaching. Okay. And it was amazing yeah. driving up the highway, up uh, that that highway to Garoka and what was the next one inland from Garoka? The next big town? Oh, I'm, I don't know. I was only a kid. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. The, yeah. We, we, we drove up. On the, on the road, and we had to stop for a while because the road had washed away. Yeah. Um, and then on the way back, we had to stop because the road had washed away again, and they'd been rebuilding it. And we could see, as we inched past on this very narrow, very steep bit of road, um, we could look we'd look down the hill, and growing out of the side of the hill was a smokestack of a semi-trailer. Oh, wow. Okay. And what had happened was that the road had collapsed, yep. and they just simply bulldozed over it and then built the semi-trailer into the road and it was lying on its side and the smokestack was just sticking out of the ground oh okay wow yeah that's, yeah um, yes very interesting after you came out of the refugee camp you were in Wollongong is that right yeah you grew up in Wollongong yep yeah what was that like what were you like what was baby Dr Carl I don't think your name was Dr Carl back then but um, <laughs> what was Dr Carl like as a child um I was in a um uh, disliked minority Okay. Uh, as as happens to all minorities, they end up getting disliked. So back then, the um, religious dislikes were everybody was Christian, um, mm-hmm. and if you weren't, you wouldn't admit to it. But there was a va- vast hatred uh, between the Protestants and the Catholics. Okay. And so I was a 
Catholic. I've been brought up a Catholic. So therefore, the Protestant kids that went to the school across the road um, hated us and vice versa. But then within the Catholics, there was the hatred between the regular Catholics and all the um, refugees. And so I was in that category. Okay. The hated hated minority. It was interesting growing up as a hated minority. it was, in retrospect, it was a, a good to have experienced it, but at the time I didn't particularly enjoy it. No, I can imagine. It would have been quite awful for a child to go through. Oh, well, it's happening all the time, all the minorities. I remember in Marrickville, we used to live in Marrickville in Sydney for a while, and there was a sign um, written up, uh, spray-painted on a wall, saying, Muslims out. And here's a funny thing. It was written by in Vietnamese. Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah. the Vietnamese came to Australia and they were a hated minority and they moved into Marrickville and then they became enough to then pass on the hate to the next generation. And then the Muslims will probably go um, Hindus out or um, who knows. The um, minorities do tend to get picked upon a lot. I remember reading an article in the New York Times by an American astronaut so in America, you've got two sorts of um, celebrities. There's you know, music and theatre celebrities, and you've got the astronauts. And so he was a very famous celebrity. And anybody, anytime anybody knew he was an astronaut, he got the golden treatment. You know? okay. But yep. he was black. Ah, and he wrote okay. about how whenever he drove in his car, because it didn't have a sign saying, hey, I'm an astronaut, he was really scared of getting killed by being pulled over by a white racist cop. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, with luck we get more enlightened, we stop being so mean to people. Yeah, well, you seem like a very empathetic person. So did you find those experiences made you more understanding towards people and their experiences? Oh, God, yes. I remember reading a letter in The Australian saying, um, look, I'm a retired 59-year-old wealthy um, company director. I've never experienced any racism such as the women complained about. Yours truly, Colonel Blimp. You know, yeah. yeah, right. Of course he wouldn't. Yeah. So ex- experience, uh, experiencing that was good for me, yeah. So you've done a Bachelor you've of Science, wrong, yep. yeah, and yep. you've also got a Master of Biomedical Engineering and a Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery. So that's All quite... of that for free? Yeah, yeah oh, think, for free, yeah, because, under, yeah. yeah. Because back then the Australian government saw education as a worthwhile investment in the future. Okay. That's... Which they don't do anymore. Okay, it's not worthwhile anymore. <laughs> Uh, it, it is a worthwhile investment in the future and it pays back enormously. But for some reason, the last few Australian governments do not see it as a worthwhile investment in the future. Okay. I think that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. I think it is a worthwhile investment. So my first degree was a degree in physics and maths, which is really good because that gives you, um, I didn't realize it at the time, but it gives you a really good, I'm going to use a weird phrase here, mental toolbox. Okay. So if you look at anything happening in the world around you, like um, you drive through a puddle uh, on a dry day, you know, so there's a puddle of water in the road, you drive through the puddle, and suddenly some of the water comes onto your windscreen. How does that happen? Because the wheels are underneath the car and a bit behind from the front. How does the water go forward? Right. And then, uh, so... physics and maths is a really good mental toolbox and then I spent some time as a drug crazed hippie and a filmmaker I did some of the first MTV videos in Australia and set up helped set up Australia's first cable TV network at Nimbin oh wow okay Uh, 
that was a long time ago at the Nimbin Art Aquarius Arts Festival. And then uh, was a taxi driver and drove a couple of hundred thousand kilometres and um, got beaten unconscious once and uh, two of my friends got killed. Okay. Uh, and then drove, then drifted into the hospital system and became a uh, scientific officer in the hospital system and then drifted into biomedical engineering. So with Fred Hollows, the eye doctor asked me to design and build a machine to pick up electrical signals off the human retina okay. to diagnose certain types of eye disease. And that was an amazing thing because I, I had no idea, but I said, I reckon I could do it. And so I spent a year reading up on it, trying to understand this whole thing, and then a year actually building the machine. And then after that, I had a choice of either doing some PhDs in biomedical engineering or in visual electrophysiology or else going into medicine and surgery. So I went into that and then worked as a doctor in a kid's hospital. And, and, and as part of my further education, I also along the way had four years of non-degree study, also for free, in uh, astrophysics, electrical engineering, computer science and philosophy just around me off. So I've had 17 years of free education. Thank you very much, citizens of Australia, for paying for me. And just to finish off, if anybody listening wants to get a free education at a higher level past high school go to europe you can get a free education in germany in english and they'll even in, in denmark not only will they teach you to whatever level you want at university or in the trades they'll teach you in english but they also give you money to rent a flat and money to buy a bicycle and money to buy food they oh, see wow. education as a worthwhile yeah. investment what made you then go into the entertainment industry so you were um, already doing a lot in science and then did you want to go over or was that more an opportunity sort of thing for you? So over the years in the Reader's Digest survey, I had bounced up and down. But if you do a graph, you'll see that by the year 2033, I, my relentless downward uh plunge on the graph will have me down at position 100. So therefore, by then I won't be the most trusted person in Australia. I'll be well, I've got a long family history. My father was a journalist. Yep. Um, and in Hollywood, when he went there from Poland, he uh, wrote the script for the first Three Musketeers movie. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Which is yep. a silent movie. Yeah. And my great 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 aunt made Salem made Madame Butterfly possible. Okay. Yes. You've heard of Madame Butterfly, the opera? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's got a wonderful chorus in there called One Five Day, One Fine Day that always makes me cry. Anyway, so yeah. um, he wrote the he wrote it and there was a big flop. Um, and then the composer holed up in a hotel room with my great-great-great-aunt, Salomea Krishlanitska, who was a famous soprano in Europe at that time, and um, then performed it. Um, with her, so they helped, he helped rewrite it for her voice, and they couldn't get uh, La Scala in Milan anymore because uh, that was all booked out. So they went to another one, a small opera house, and all the critics turned up ready to stab him in the back, and they loved it. And that's so that's, that's my link to showbiz. And I was also a roadie for are you, are you familiar with blues music? We just watched uh, what did we watch last night? It was full of oh, Elvis, the Elvis movie. Ah, which, yeah, because yeah. It, because the, the good thing about Elvis from a marketing point of view was that back then there were two hit parades in America. Okay. There was a white hit parade and a black hit parade. Yep. And he had a really good voice. And the phrase that was used 
was he's got a black man's voice, but he's a white man, so he can sing all those songs on the hit parade. Okay. So that was, but of course, he was a magnificent entertainer himself. Yep. So have you heard of Bo Diddley? Yep. A blues singer. Yeah, I, yep. I was a roadie for Bo Diddley for a couple of years. Okay. He was wow. in Australia. Yep. So, and and um, I've, I've always liked telling stories, uh, science stories, and I, I just sort of drifted into it and um, did it all the way through uh, medicine. So uh, it began in 1981 mm -hmm. uh, when I started studying medicine. But uh, also that year they were going to launch the space shuttle. And I'd already written a letter to NASA saying, Hi, NASA. I've, I'm a young, fit bloke. Uh, I can run a city to surf. I've got a degree in maths and physics and biomedical engineering, and soon I'll be qualified as a doctor and surgeon. Can I be an astronaut? And they send a letter back saying, No, we're all full up. And anyway, we only employ Americans. Okay. But yep. At that time, Double J was doing a covering the launch of the space shuttle and i said i know a bit about that i've been following it for a while they invited me to come in they found i could talk on radio and i was there for the launch of the space shuttle and afterwards we were out the back having a cup of tea and one of the guys said well i really need this hippie tea to clean my kidneys that's what the producer said oh and okay I said, and i said look sorry I, I must correct you but it's the other way around in fact it's not your kidneys it's not the tea that purifies your kidneys, but rather your kidneys filter about a quarter of a ton of blood every day. They pull out at vast metabolic cost, 1,500 grams of salt. And they put all of that salt back into the bloodstream, except for maybe 80 thousandth of a gram. And the reason they do this is because God and evolution made a mistake and we're basically fish gone wrong. And they said, we need you for a show called Great Moments in Science, which they then started up in 1980. So okay. while I was going through medicine, I was doing these little three-minute radio snippets on Double J. And okay. it just kept on growing after that. Okay, I'm glad that he didn't, uh, you know, sometimes when people get corrected, they don't like to hear it. So he obviously in liked what you had to say about the tea and um, gave you a well, few. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, at one stage I'd um, been approached by the people at um, Beyond 2000 to be a reporter because I helped start up Quantum. Uh, which was a precursor to Catalyst on ABC TV. Yep. I did that in 85. I, so I dropped out of medicine for a year to do that. And then um, I was invited later to become a reporter for Beyond 2000. And I did a screen test and everything was fine. And then we we're having a party to celebrate my arrival. And the boss said, gave a little speech and said, oh, this is great. Uh, we're having Carl here. He's going to be a great reporter. Uh, this is going to be a real quantum leap for Beyond. Hooray, hooray, hooray. And then he said, come on up, Carl. And I said, look, actually, I've got to correct you. Um, a quantum leap is incredibly small. Oh, is it? Yeah, um, but very definite. It's okay. not like a, a blurred thing. It's very definite. It's either this or that. And his face went black, and um, he fired me on the spot. Okay, so he didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. Nah, there are some people who whose ego is tied to them being intellectually correct all the time, and he was one of those, I think. And in recent times can be quite damaging to society in general when people have that ego attached to the intellectual not, not wanting to be uh, corrected yeah. everybody makes mistakes I'll, I'll say i'm wrong on air maybe once every couple of weeks when people say look you said this but actually i've been doing some reading and this is the case i'll say blow me down you're right and i'm wrong thank you for setting me straight and i'll do it on twitter and tiktok as well yeah i have seen that i've seen you being uh, open to correction which is um sure yeah a great way to be for any anyone in science but anyone in general as well oh Mate, the whole thing of not making mistakes is part of the um, ha hard patriarchal figure, father figure. Yeah. So the dictator can never make a mistake. And even if they say the sky is green, 
all the people in this country have to go and believe that for a little while until they change the reality. Yes, I do like on the internet though, you could you could have 99% of the world's knowledge in your head and there's just one thing you don't know, but someone will find it and they'll be like, oh, what an idiot. You don't even know what the mating habits of the white-tailed swan are. Like, you're an idiot. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, something oh. like that. Yeah, the, the, the beige-tailed squan, yes, but the white-tailed, oh, they just completely slipped my memory. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so there's always lots of funny comments. Um, so talking about communicating science, some people, uh, and I think this depends on your experience with science uh, at school, mm -hmm. some people do find science boring and communicating it can, it can be a challenge for that reason, that you're trying to undo a lot of biases, experiences, um, preconceived ideas. So how do you find a way to communicate science so it's entertaining and interesting for people? Oh, easy. I plagiarise. Okay. That's interesting. Um, plagiarise, plagiarise. Let nobody else's work evade your eyes. So I read my way through about $10,000 worth of scientific literature every year. Uh magazines, online, paper, etc. I pay, that's how much I pay for my knowledge. Yep. And I find the weird stuff. So I came across this weird story that if you analyse a tea bag with green tea in it, you'll find the DNA of 400 different insects. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that made the New York Post yesterday in New York. Okay. Yeah, look it up. Uh, they call me a TikTok doc. And then, so what I do is I try to find stuff that's interesting. Now, here's a word that you may or may not have heard of. Here it comes. Drunchies. Never heard of drunchies. Drunchies are drunken munchies. Oh, okay. Right. So and when, you, was, when you've been drinking and you get hungry, the kebab type and you scenario. Get really hungry. Yeah, 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 exactly. You hit it in one. And there, there's a weird problem with that because alcohol has calories. Yes, yeah. It has more calories per gram than carbohydrate and protein, but less than fats, but it still has calories. Okay. So if you're taking calories into your body or kilojoules, how come, after you have had a fair amount, that you feel hungry? Shouldn't the opposite be true? And it turns out that alcohol has a pharmacological effect on a part of your brain that deals with hunger. Okay, so it's... And uh, they've managed to isolate it down to some a part of the hypothalamus. Yep. To some, a nucleus called the AGRP neurons, and it stimulates them. So even though you're full, you feel hungry. Yeah, right. That's but, very interesting. Yeah. So, yep. uh, so what I do is I find stories that the average person will find interesting rather than trying to tell them about the latest research on the GP53 protein. Yeah, so you're getting the quirky quirkiness out of that. Yeah, I search for the quirky weird stuff. Like like here's one. Now, you, you're familiar with aeroplanes flying? Yes. yep. You know? So what is the longest time that an aeroplane has flown, piloted by humans, without... Air, air, you know, air-to-air refueling. Yeah, I don't know. There's three months. Three months. Is this? Is it a glider? Is this? No, it was an no. airplane. So with an, an engine. Yeah. Okay. With an engine. Yep. And they flew for three months continuously as a publicity stunt for a casino in Las Vegas. They flew for three months continuously without air-to-air -air refueling. Yeah. Right. How did they do that? 
Ah, I cheated. They did ground-to-air refueling. Oh, okay. It was a Cessna 172. Yep. And it would go really slowly. And on the highway in Nevada, a petrol truck would go really fast. Yeah, and they'd right. pump it up into the engines. Interesting. How um, When was this? Uh, back in the 50s. Okay, because it would be very – I think it would be illegal now. <laughs> kind of. The, yeah. the reason that they stopped at three months – was that the engine had been running continuously okay. for three months, yep. and it was beginning to coke up on the inside, and things were wearing out, and it needed major maintenance. And when it was full of fuel, they could just barely climb. Okay, wow. So, right, and so the engine performance was dropping off enormously, and it was going to get to the stage where they couldn't climb. So they just pulled out at three months. Okay, so three months. We know that's... Uh, yeah, so that, that's the sort of weird stuff that I try to find. Yeah, right. I was going to ask you about the, the science of comedy before there's a last sort of topic. So when, as a comedian, and you've done your own comedy show as well, you're basically a person on a stage with nothing and you're saying words, and somehow that creates a reaction in people that makes them laugh. And I'm sure they produce certain uh, is it hormones when they laugh. Or chemical um, reactions. Susan, Professor Susan Scott, yeah, is the world expert in laughter. Okay, so follow her, and it's more complicated than that. Oh, no, I was just going to ask you about the science behind it. What what you could share with us, if you could share anything. Well, I, I do cheat. I'm not that good as a science comedian that I can do it only with words. I've got okay. to have pictures. You use pictures, yeah. I use pictures, um, and that's a bit of a crutch because I'm only beginning. So the first thing I did was go and spend $500 to do a course on uh, comedy. Okay. It was a three-day course, and you learn things like the rule of three. Sure. Okay, so, you know, people walk into a pub. Yep. And there's always three of them. There's okay. never four. There's never two. So the Irishman says this. And then the American, so you're setting up the uh, situation. Then the American says that, you're building up the tension. And then the Australian says that, and then that's resolving it. Boom, move on to the next one. Okay. So that's one rule. Yep. And another one is the callback. Ah, oh, yes, yep. So in the callback, what you do is you tell a joke at the front and it works. And then you, later on in the show, you... Manage and the audience laughs. And later on in the show, you bring back a reference to that. You don't have to tell the joke again. You just bring back a reference to it, and then they laugh because they remember the good time that they had twenty minutes ago. Yeah. Okay. I think I wonder if that's it's also about building rapport with them. Now they're in on a joke with you. There's an insider. Yeah. Level, and now you're yeah. friends. Yeah. And then you've got to find material that's vaguely comedic as yeah. well. Yeah. Um. So. With regard to um, being trusted, so the Reader's Digest for some years had a survey of Australia's most trusted people. Yeah, and I started off at number seven, seventh most trusted person in Australia. Yeah, and sort of bounced around a bit uh, over the years, and various people came up against me, like wonderful people who'd done wonderful, human wonderful humanitarian stuff. I couldn't possibly win against them. And Hugh Jackman came in one year. What chance do I have against somebody who can dance and sing, and is married to a woman older than himself, and is, is a lovely, kind person? You know. But uh, overall, um, what happened was that uh, I've, I've been in that top ten for the ten years or so that they had it. So over the years, in the Reader's Digest survey, I had bounced up and down. But if you do a graph, you'll see that by the year 2033, 
I my relentless downward uh, plunge on the graph will have me down at position 100. So therefore, by then, I won't be the most trusted person in Australia. I'll be down at the very bottom. Oh, I've got okay. to turn that into a joke. Right, now yeah. I've got to turn that into a joke. And I haven't worked out how to do that yet. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you're trying to write something on that that material. Yeah. So uh, it's a different feel. But on, on the other hand, you can get people involved and they do like being entertained more than they like being lectured. Okay. Yeah. Why do you think you'd jump to not being trusted? Um, the media is very powerful in Australia. 70% of the news print eyes are controlled by Murdoch. Uh, and there's a shift in the media as well. Um, and also with the new social media, things are changing very rapidly. We're in a period of transition. Transition. Why was I dropping? I don't know. Just yeah. So did you have any more information about the um, the science of comedy or making people laugh? Well, I do plagiarise a lot, so I read the Journal of Irreproducible Results. Yeah. Uh, and take stuff from there and try and find weird stuff where you set something up and then it goes down a different pathway so i've done a series at the uh comedy store in sydney in august 2022 and i'm looking forward to doing a reprise of that and a brand new show in august 23 for science week again okay so yeah, i'm still writing that material be fantastic i want to try and get along come see it let me know i'll get you a cop because you're in the trade Oh, thank you. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, a few final questions. Um, what would you call your crowning achievement if you could pick one thing? Uh, not dying. Yeah, okay, that's good. So it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be science related. It could be anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, so um, on one occasion I was being beaten unconscious as a taxi driver. Okay. And I thought there's nothing stopping them from killing me as I drifted off into unconsciousness. I hope I wake up and I did. Okay. It was a wonderful surprise. Yeah, right. So did that have an effect on you, um, sort of having a near-death experience like that? Um, in the sense, yes, that I value life and I try to use my time as efficiently as possible because it's kind of like a roller coaster. You get on and then you yeah. get off at the same spot. And in life, you're born and you die. You come from nothing, you go to nothing, but it's the ride in between that counts. Okay, that's nice. You want to have a good ride. Yeah, okay. Um, and what would you call your legacy, if you could pick one thing? Um, people who have got vaccinated. I've tried to um, just stick to the science. Yep. And so there was a very major moving effect, which is why I dropped out of being a doctor at the kids' hospital. Okay. When in the um, – at my time there, we had this situation where after decades – of solid vaccination, and nobody spoke out against vaccination. It was obvious. It just worked. And then uh, some TV shows decided to try and get some cheap um, viewers online by saying, oh, vac vaccinations might not work. On one hand, we've got four centuries of vaccination history, but on the other hand, here's Fred from Facebook, or whoever it was back then, saying that vaccinations don't work uh, well, that's 50-50. Some say yes, some say no, you decide. And so we end up with the vaccinations, the herd immunity associated with whooping cough dropping. And after decades of zero deaths from whooping cough, we suddenly started having them. And I was working at the kids' hospital when this happened and the baby okay. didn't have to die. The only reason the baby died was that the TV show wanted to sell more dog food and so they were putting forward the lie that vaccinations don't work. Okay. So if part of my legacy is that we've got fewer dead people and more people inspired to have good careers, 
I'm very happy. So I'll be walking in this local supermarket, going up and down the aisles, looking at everything to see what new stuff they've got in. Um, and then somebody will come and say, oh, I've been listening to you on Triple J. And as a result, I've, and then I'll say anything from, I've decided to go and become a tradie in plumbing or in carpentry or finish my nursing or do a PhD or finish my high school certificate. And I don't know what there is about talking on radio that inspires people to get an education. But if I can do that, then I think that's a wonderful legacy to leave behind. Yeah, well, I think I did uh, reach out to people on social media and ask if there were anything people wanted to know um, to ask you. And there were a lot of uh, comments or inf- people saying, can you just say thank you? Because because of him, I have this career in science or I went into aviation. Really? Yeah, which was lovely to see. And so if that is your legacy, it does seem like that's been successful. Yeah, it doesn't have to be science. I mean, yeah. without the arts, there is no point. So just yeah. any form of education or endeavour, trying to make the world a nicer, better place. Oh, well, thank you for doing that. Oh, shucks. You're yes, especially after, you know, a hard upbringing, a hard life, and then you turned it, you know, you, you brought a lot of positivity. I wasn't that hard. I remember on one occasion, I was doing a book tour in Melbourne, and the taxi driver, the, we had a rent car, a high car, because we had a very, had very tight timing from one radio show to the next. And so we couldn't wait for taxis. We just had to go bang, bang. And, um, by bang, bang, I mean, we had to rush from one to the other. I don't mean any firearms. Okay. And this guy was about 15. He said, really cheerful. I said, how are you so cheerful? He said, well, uh, I'm a Kurd. Do you know about the Kurdish people in no, the Middle not, East? Uh, not really, no. Yeah. So there's all these different people living in the Middle East, and these, these are the people who help invent written language, right? Mm-hmm. So they're really smart. And um, when the British and various other colonial powers came in, they, defi- they divided them up arbitrarily, uh, and um, the Kurds kind of got left out. They didn't get any land. Okay. And so everybody, so everybody hates the Kurds, the Iraqis, the Iranians, the Turks, the Israelis, the Pal- everybody hates the Kurds. And this guy was saying, well, I'm a Kurd. And I thought, oh, my God, what a hard life you must have had. And he said, do you know that for every year of my entire life since I was born, people have fired guns at me and my, pa- and, and my family trying to kill us. And I've been in Australia for five years and nobody's tried to kill me even once. Okay. I love it. <laughs> So when you say I've had a hard life, I haven't had people shooting at me for, or my family for every year I've been alive. Okay. That, that's, yeah, it's all relative, isn't it? So that's yeah, very interesting yeah. to hear. And yeah. we're very, very lucky in Australia. Very lucky. With, oh, God, yes, yeah, yes. Our lifestyle. Um, was there anything you'd like to add? Any last uh, message for the people listening? Yeah, I've got a problem with uh, this black hole. So okay. we've discovered a black hole about 11 billion light years away, which turns out to be the most ravenous, hungry black hole we've ever discovered. Okay. And it's eating stuff at the rate of one Earth mass per day. Oh, wow. Okay, so we're saying this in um, January, February 2023. So it's eating stuff at the rate of one Earth mass, not per day, per second. Oh, wow. Yeah. Per okay. second. That's pretty that's Which means that it's eating a sun mass every uh, four days, or in a year, it's eating 90 times the mass of the sun. Okay. Where the heck? It's burning up fuel so fast that this the stuff around the black hole is 7,000 times brighter than the entire galaxy that it's in. Okay. Hundreds of billions of stars. It's just this one event of eating stars is making it 7,000 times brighter than its host galaxy. And the question is, where is it getting its mass from? So in our case, uh, our nearest star is about four light years away. Mm -hmm. 
here is eating 90 stars a year. Wow. How, how do yeah. you shove 90 stars up and just sort of feed them on a conveyor belt to this black hole? And I just recently had one of the very few original thoughts I have in my life. I have one maybe every 10 years or something. And my original thought was maybe it's not eating stars or planets. Maybe it's eating dark matter. Ah, like um, uh, in Futurama. The, have you seen Futurama? The, the I, have, I haven't seen that episode. Tell me about that episode. Oh, that's how they fuel everything with dark matter, and they get it from um, Nibbler, who's the little pet who eats he eats things like huge amounts of things, and then his uh, feces is dark matter. Uh, I'm very excited to work out the, when, when will we, the human race, work it out. What's going on? Will it be in a decade or several decades or the end of this century? Anyway, that's my passing thought. If anybody wants a career in astrophysics, there are very, or anywhere, there's many questions not answered. And that's where the interesting stuff happens, where we don't know stuff. Okay. Could the black hole be drinking? Oh, maybe it's an alcoholic and drinking yeah. too much alcohol. And you so it's think of that one. Hypothesis hung- number two. It gets hungry because it's been drinking. It doesn't realise it oh, shouldn't be. Oh, my God. Eating. That's a Uh callback. Yeah, yeah, and a punchline. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good punchline. Um, I might try to plagiarise that if that's okay with you. You can have that. I don't think I'm ever going to do a joke on black holes. Our life is long. Yeah, that's true. It could come up. Never say never. I do do some science jokes. Um, Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, It's been really good, really interesting. I think people are going to love listening to it and um, appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us on a great episode of Great Comedic Minds. We'll be back next week, so be sure to tune in. Also, like, share, subscribe to the channel, and be sure to follow Carl Robertson on Instagram.